It's so lovely to have you here, and happy Easter to you all. Um, we've got some baptisms coming up, uh, which are a depiction of Easter. There will be burial down into the water, a symbol of death to the old way of life that was killing us anyway, right? And then resurrection out of the water, a symbol of this resurrection to the new life in Jesus Christ. And uh, so I want to get us into the word of God right now. And I would like to retell the deep story of what happened in A.D. 33 in a Jerusalem cemetery. Jesus, the flesh and blood man from Nazareth, was crucified on Friday. He was dead as a doornail on Saturday. And he was alive and well on Sunday morning. And the first skeptics of his resurrection were the people who knew him the best and had lived with him for three years and walked with him everywhere, his disciples. So I want to read to you from John chapter 20, this occurrence of, um, of Jesus and his resurrection. Can we do this? It's going to be up there, the empty tomb. I'll read it from mine right here. Early on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday then, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running. Apparently, there were others who went with her to anoint the dead body because they knew the body was dead. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and that would be John, the one who's writing this, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started to the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen, lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went right into the tomb. Wouldn't you imagine Peter would do that? We've sort of been studying him over the last little while. He's always the guy who just does it totally outright, 110%. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, we've been studying over the last few weeks how Jesus in this walking with the disciples up to the cross, how they heard over and over again that Jesus was saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. Here, they still don't understand it. There's a mystery to this, isn't there? There is. So the rest of our reading then has to do with a few days later, uh, Jesus had appeared to them. Thomas was not with them when Jesus appeared. So this is what happens next. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, and I think he crossed his arms when he did this, really. I think his head turned on the side. And he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails have been and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. In other words, what 
are you guys? Are you kidding me? This does not happen. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, "Ah, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. (laughs) Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Now, this is really significant what he says because sometimes people say Jesus never claimed to be God and Jesus never received it when people called him God. Well, here's a case right here where Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Jesus could have said, no, just a second. I'm not really God. I'm, you know, a prophet or whatever. He never said that because he is God in the flesh. My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you've believed. Well, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We know what he's talking about, right? He's talking about us and billions of other people down through the centuries who have believed that Jesus is truly the Son of God. And Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. John says, but these ones are written so that you may believe. Notice the importance of believing in Jesus. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The goal is to have the life of God in us, changing us right now, as well as taking us to heaven, right? Big bonus, that is. But the life of Christ in us right now, changing us. So I think sometimes we may say, is there any evidence that backs up that Jesus really rose from the dead? And yes, there's tons of evidence. We're not going to go over that today. There's some of it in, if you check the library out here, there are books on this, people who've been investigative reporters and stuff like this, who've been absolutely certain Jesus could never rise from the dead. So they've gone, they've done all the research to prove that he didn't, and they became Christians as they did this, being convinced that he actually did rise from the dead. This is not what we're talking about this morning. You can do that research yourself if you like. Today, what we want to do is ask the question, what does it mean right now for you and for me? And what's it mean for the world that Jesus rose from the dead? There are many layers of meaning in this cosmic event. And so we want to start with the top layer and peel our way down to the central reality. The first and most obvious implication of Easter is that death has met its match. Death is not, um, death is no longer the victor. This passage of scripture here, uh, Paul writes this, and thinking of the graves and Jesus' resurrection, he says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And he's quoting from Hosea, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I'll redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? 
Easter means that death has finally met someone it cannot defeat. Which means that death no longer has the sting or the power that it once had. I want to tell you about my nephew, one of my nephews. His name is Tim. Tim Lovedy lives in uh, Cambridge. And uh, he's in his mid-40s. His wife passed away at Christmas time. And the memorial service was just a couple of days in the new year. And he is left uh, with four kids, two boys and two girls. And the two girls are twins, about 14 years old. And this one of the 14-year-old girls, she was talking with um, another girl who said to her, you know, you must be awfully sad, even mad, that your mother's dead. And this young 14-year-old, she said, well, I am sad. I'm really sad. Like, I miss my mom, something terrible. And I have been mad. I've been really mad. But you know what? I know I'm going to see her again in heaven. And this other girl said, well, how can you know that? And she said, well, because when Jesus came and he died on the cross, he died to pay the penalty for our sins. And when he rose again, he promises if we believe in him, we, we go to heaven to be with him when we die. And her friend said to her, well, um, how can you know that? And she said, well, I believe it. I, I believe this, and I know that I'm going to see my mother again. And so even though I'm sad... I'm happy I'm going to see her again. There is a sting in death. Is there? But it's not the sting that it used to be because we know there's a resurrection and we know that we shall see our loved ones again and we will be with them in heaven. So we grieve and yet not as those who have no hope because we have this hope of the resurrection. Death no longer must be feared because death no longer has the final word in the story. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. The second layer of implication here is that Easter means that Jesus has been vindicated or proven true, absolutely true. Um, this word, tetelestai, is a Greek word which means it is finished or it's paid in full. This is the word that Jesus used when he was on the cross um, when he said, uh, it is finished. It means, it, it's like if you had bought something in a market at that time and you had a bill, of, a bill there that you had to pay, once you paid it, they would write tetelestai across that page, meaning it's paid in full. Jesus used that word when he was on the cross to say the penalty for sins is paid in full. That's it. It's paid. It's done. It is completed. It's finished. What Jesus, and then what Jesus said would happen in terms of his death and his resurrection, actually happened. Now, no other philosopher, teacher, or leader of any religion has ever risen from the dead. You know that the magician Houdini 
said he was going to rise from the dead. Did you know that? He gave a day and a time, and a lot of people were gathered there. He never showed. Because <laughs> people don't rise from the dead, right? But Jesus did. Here's the thing. So, the resurrection of Jesus then is God Almighty saying a huge yes to Jesus. It's God saying, Jesus is the one, folks. <laughs> Pay attention to him. Listen to him. He is the one. It's a yes. Jesus is the Son of God, God the Son. Yes, Jesus' death on the cross has paid the penalty in full. Tetelestai, it's finished. It's paid in full. Yes, the powers of death and evil are defeated. And yes, the separation between God and humans is gone. For all who will believe and receive this, it's gone. Easter resurrection means that Friday really was Good Friday in spite of the awful, terrible things that happened that day. It was Good Friday. Easter means that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. The third layer of implication here is that Easter means Jesus can be known today. The historical Jesus can be known today. The same Jesus who walked the streets and the dusty lanes of Israel, the same Jesus who welcomed wounded, broken people. He's still alive. He still welcomes wounded, broken people. The same Jesus who healed the sick and freed the captives, who brought light into darkness and brought hope into despair, the same Jesus is alive and well, and he's living today, and he can be known today. And this is exactly why Forest View Church exists. Do you know that? Forest View Church exists to be a community where, can anybody help me with this? Where people meet Jesus and become more like him. Would you say that with me, please? Forest View Church exists to be a community where people meet Jesus and become more like him. That's why we, that's who we are. That's why we're here. For people to meet the living and resurrected Jesus because he is not dead, he is alive. You can't go to Israel now and pay your respects at the tomb of Jesus where his dead body is. Because his dead body isn't there. You can go to the place where they think they buried him, but the stone has been rolled away. Jesus Christ has risen. He is risen indeed. The next layer of implication for us is that the word impossible needs to drop from our vocabulary. There it is. Impossible. The impossible has happened. People don't rise from the dead. When you're dead, you're dead. But Jesus did. Easter means the word impossible drops from our vocabulary because when we see the empty tomb, the impossible has happened. You realize what we proclaim we believe a dead guy actually got up and walked out of the grave. 
because it happened. It really happened, and it's documented. Now, you may say, what about Lazarus, and what about the other people who had been raised from the dead in Jesus' ministry? They were resuscitated, they who had been dead, but they were resuscitated and put back into their original bodies, which would die again. Jesus is the first of the resurrections, because he was dead, and he was put into a resurrection body that would never, ever die again. He is the first fruits from among the dead. The scripture calls him. In other words, God's power has broken in to the world. Something new has happened here that's never happened before. And he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think. So that we need to drop the word impossible from our vocabulary. You think... It's impossible for your sins to be forgiven. Drop the word impossible. That's why Christ died, to forgive us all of our sins and to wash them clean. Amazing piece of good news. You think it's impossible for your marriage to be renewed and refreshed and to find a new kind of love. Drop the word impossible. The living Lord Jesus Christ is able to do these things. You think think it's impossible to get freedom from your addiction. The living Lord Jesus Christ and resurrected power wants to help you be free, set free. You think it's impossible to be released from uh, character trait or fear or an emotional struggle. The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ is here to give you a newness of life. He comes and he's our reason for hope and faith, even in seemingly impossible situations. Jesus Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. So we have these things. This is what we celebrate at Easter, that death has met its match that Jesus is vindicated, and what he accomplished on the cross is, is it's really true. It's effective. That Jesus is alive and well, and he can be known today, and there's reason for hope, even in the midst of the worst and most overwhelming odds. But as wonderful as all that is, there's more. Easter goes even deeper than all of that. Easter literally alters history. Easter is a new beginning Easter is creation, take two. Listen to this quote from Jimmy Stewart, who was a James Stewart. There's another Jimmy Stewart. James Stewart was a Scottish preacher. He said this, When Christ left the grave, it was not merely an announcement that there is a hereafter and a life after death, although it was that. When Jesus left the grave, it was the shattering of history by a creative act of God Almighty. In this cosmic event, God was doing something comparable only with what God did at the first creation. This was the beginning of a new era for the universe and the decisive turning point for the human race. For standing in the garden was the new Adam, the prototype and guarantee of a whole new humanity, the first fruits This is a deep story that the living God brings into being 
a new kind of human who is the first installment of a new kind of humanity. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a few verses here. Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. The risen Jesus is the new Adam, the last Adam. And just as the first Adam was the head and beginning of the human race, so this last Adam, Jesus, is the head and beginning of a new humanity, renewed in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things are passed away, all things become new. In the beginning, God made a garden. He created man and woman, Adam and Eve, to live in truly paradise. God had given them everything they needed to live rich and full and free life. And um, this life had perfect harmony. Think about it for a minute. It was perfect harmony within each person. Perfect harmony between people, between husband and wife. A perfect marriage. I think the only (laughs) perfect marriage that's ever existed, right? And perfect harmony with all of creation. All because they had perfect harmony with the living God. Four harmonies that all come from this harmony with the living God. They knew God intimately. They basked in his delight. They were made in the image of God and they wore this with great dignity. This is who they were. This is their identity. And they reflected the person and character of God in all of their interactions with one another. And when God looked down and saw them, he said, oh, this is good. No, this is more than good. This is very good. And then something went wrong. Something drastically went wrong. It all came apart. A fact which we are very aware of, and painfully so. Just think of Gaza, Syria, Sudan, racism, genocide, abuse, relational breakdown, economic breakdown, ecological breakdown. You probably heard this morning that in Sri Lanka, there were eight bombings. Three of them at churches where people were going to celebrate the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. 207 people are dead. 450 are injured. Are there problems in our world? Is there a need for a savior in our world? All has gone wrong. A fact which we are all very aware of and very painfully so. And God had said to Adam and Eve, I give you one command. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. 
Now, please note, this is not the tree of knowledge. God wants us to have knowledge, doesn't he? He's given us a mind to pursue things and to chase them down. And it's not the tree of good and evil, because God wants us to discern the difference between good and evil. He doesn't ask us to be naive. But if I could paraphrase this, this would be God speaking to Adam and Eve and saying, I'm giving you one command. Do not aspire to the kind of knowledge that makes you think you can decide what's good and evil on your own without me. Do not aspire to the kind of knowledge that makes you think you can live without me, without my reference points. God would say, I have created you in such a way that you can only be truly alive, truly human, as long as you remain in a dependent relationship with me and walk hand in hand with me. In the day you try to go it alone, on your own, without me, you will surely die. I won't have to kill you. I'll not need to. For you cannot live, really live, without me, God is saying. You're a creature, a glorious one. God would say that to all of us here. You're a glorious creature, made in the image of God. You be you, and I'll be me, God said. And if you try to be me, you'll become less than you are. You will die. In fact, if you go back and you read the story from the garden, you'll see that that's exactly what Satan promised to Adam and Eve. You eat of this fruit, and you'll be like God, is what he said. And they believed him, and it was a lie, and they became less than they were. They lost their freedom under the great creator, and they began addiction and slavery and bondage to the lies of Satan. And in that beautiful garden, so rich and full and free, the first Adam and Eve chose to go it alone without God and without God's word. And God's word came true, as it always does. They began to die. It's a deep story. What did they lose? They lost all four of those harmonies. They lost harmony within themselves and so began emotional, psychological, mental problems. They lost harmony with each other and so they lost the respect and, and began fightings and abuses and genocide and arguments and relational problems and gender wars. They lost harmony with creation and so came thorns and thistles and ecological problems. All because they had lost harmony with God this first harmony that God longs to bless us with and to give us. So now they were afraid of God. They ran and hid from him, like so many people do. The garden had become a cemetery. Oh, it still shows signs of being a garden, doesn't it? Especially in the spring. But it still is a cemetery. We think we live in the land of the living and are moving towards the land of the dying. Nothing could be farther from the truth. We live in the land of the dying, and we're moving towards the land of the living. Then came Easter. 
All of Adam and Eve's children, ourselves included, were born into this fallen world with the same idea. Go it alone. Do it my way. Without God. Not your will. Mine be done. Then came Easter. And God starts all over again. Creation take two. And I think it's miraculous and wonderful that God didn't just scrap the old model. He actually became one of us here. In all of the weakness of humanity, he lived this life, a human life, the way the first Adam was supposed to live. In Jesus, we see what was supposed to be. And it's amazing that this perfect Jesus who came here stands in absolute solidarity with men and women who are fallen and broken. He stands in solidarity with us and takes all of that on himself on the cross and pays the consequences for it, for Adam's sin, for Eve's sin, for your sin, and for my sin. He takes it all on himself. Then comes Easter Sunday morning, and Jesus Christ bursts out of the grave, alive again, proving that forgiveness is available to all. And the new resurrected life of Jesus, the power of that resurrected life, is available for us. In Adam all die, but in Christ, the new Adam, all will be made alive. What an offer. What an offer. What an amazing offer. There's only a catch, one catch. That is, it doesn't take for you unless you receive it. I don't don't know if this makes sense or not, but it doesn't actually take for you and work in your life this offer of forgiveness and newness of life unless we actually receive the gift. Does that make sense? It's an incredible offer that's made. Do we receive it? A generous offer. And it's God's heart that every one of us would receive that. So it leaves us with two implications here today. Um, The first is this, that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is God's call to believe and follow him. We've had this word believe come up a whole bunch of times in the readings today. It's a call to actually believe him enough to begin to follow him. John 5 says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That's a present tense. Has it right now. (laughs) Not just when we die and go to heaven. Has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death into life. We experience the living, resurrected power of the Lord Jesus Christ within us. It's a wonderful promise. This is the first thing. So, have you really opened up your life to Jesus and believed in him enough to follow him? If not, would there be a better day for you to make this decision than Easter 2019? Resurrection day to say, Lord Jesus, I need your life. Would you come into my life? Forgive all my sins. I believe in you. I want to follow you forever. You could do that. But there's a second implication here this morning, and it's this, that um, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is God's call beyond comfort 
to serve God by serving others sacrificially. So you know, there's a lot of comfort in knowing, oh, my sins are forgiven. I belong to the Lord Jesus. I'm gonna go to heaven with him forever. Beyond that comfort, God calls us. We were reminded of that last week, weren't we? That was a wonderful sermon calling us to follow Jesus sacrificially in this life. So that's what I'm saying here. That's what I believe Jesus is calling us to. Beyond comfort, to serve God by serving others sacrificially. And so here's this thing at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about resurrection. And here's how it concludes like this. Therefore, in light of the truth of the resurrection and how wonderful it is, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Some of you have maybe been wondering about things and struggling with things. In light of the resurrection, stand firm in Jesus. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor for the Lord is never in vain. You know that. Keep on, brothers and sisters. Keep on. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you are risen. You are risen indeed. And we worship you and we give our lives to you afresh. And we pray just now, Lord, that if there are those who don't know you here, that this would be a day for them to open their hearts and lives to you and to trust you and to begin to follow you by faith. Lord God, what a mystery, what a miracle. The new life of Christ in us. Would you strengthen us, help us to persevere and to follow you, Lord, knowing that our lives in Christ are never in vain. Bless these brothers and sisters, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.